Welcome to episode one of the Back to School edition of Vicarial, a podcast where we try to better understand the human experience by exploring the complex lives of individual people. It is August 10th, 2020, and schools across the United States are working hard to establish reopening plans for the threat of losing federal funding. COVID-19 has reached over 150,000 deaths and four and a half million cases in the U.S. to date. Our first interview features a kindergarten teacher and a mother of two in Connecticut whose school system is set to open in just three weeks. Let's call her T. T has two children of her own, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, who will be returning to school as she returns to teaching at her 17-student class in a 400-student school. T has taught kindergarten for 13 years and has a lot to say about the intricate details involved in each proposed reopening plan. In this podcast, we explore how complex preventing COVID spread is in the kindergarten environment from the perspective of a mother and a teacher. Hello. Hello. It should be working now. I think. Oh, good. I figure we could, I could just ask you some questions about how you're feeling about this whole situation about going back to school and you can go on as long as you want with whatever <laughs> I ask you. Cause I know that there must be a lot going you know on I your can. head. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to be at the center of everybody's minds right now. It's, it's such a hot debate. It's so politicized, mm. um, even though it should not be, but of course it is. So um, I am going to be entering into my 13th year of teaching, <laughs> lucky number 13, right? And I've been a kindergarten teacher for all 13 years. My background is elementary education, and um, my master's degree is special education. So my school has about 400 plus students. It's a large, um, diverse population, um, diverse uh, cultures, diverse socioeconomic status. You know, it's all, it's a very, um, I, I love my town that I work for because there is so much support. The parents are um, really supportive and I've always had everything that I've needed, whether it was because our school has the budget to give it to us. Mm. Um, you know, our town has the resources. I'm very lucky for that. Um, I helped a friend set up one time in a neighboring town when she had her first classroom. And I said, all right, let's go to the supply closet and get all your stuff. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, let's get like, you know, your pencils and your notebooks and your folders. And she's like, I, there's no closet. What do you mean? Oh. Like, I just, I, silly me, I just assumed that everyone could go shopping like I do and get all the stuff they need. Plus, we have a budget where we can order everything we need. So we wow. are very, very lucky in our district. Um, you know, with things that my students have, that's great. But it doesn't mean that all students have that. And so right. there's a big, you know, equity issue, too. Speech teachers. OT, PT, um, adaptive PE, depending on the makeup of my class that year, I have a ton of, um, I already said ELL, so a lot of other service providers that are in and out of my classroom all day. Also the social worker and the school psychologist. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's a busy classroom, even though it's just me, but we certainly have a lot of adults that are in and out of the classroom and sometimes in and out of a lot of other classrooms too, which is something to keep in mind. How comfortable do you feel about the idea of your of going back for yourself and, and for others in general? So we actually, this is a very timely conversation because today our superintendent, we had an informational session with her today. Governor Lamont yesterday originally had said everyone's going back um, full capacity, full time. Whoa. And now they just recently said, okay, maybe we'll just 
allow districts, if they would like to do the hybrid model, they can do that. All along, they've said you need to have three plans, full in-person um, hybrid model, which would mean all the students coming to school, but only for some of the time, or um, distance learning full at home distance learning. So our superintendent is planning to make that decision within the week, she said. The three-option plan seems to be common across the U.S. right now. It gives schools the option to open in either full capacity, where all students are in physical attendance at once, in a hybrid model, where some students attend in staggered schedules or not at all, or even full distance learning, with everyone learning from home remotely. With only weeks before reopening, many schools are still determining which is best for them. So, I mean, I think some important background is, like, what am I doing right now? Mm -hmm. We have a bubble. It involves my mom, my stepfather, my dad, my stepmother, we truly, truly are still very much isolated and not everyone is like, you know, when you look on Facebook or other social media, you see that people are just living their life and being very relaxed. And while I don't envy any parent of a teenager who's (laughs) trying to socialize like that must be so hard. Um, you know, my kids are young enough that I just, I can keep them isolated and they really don't care. They're, they're happy as clams. I'm so glad they have a sibling to love and play with. But, um, you know, so that's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a very isolated situation personally and thinking about in three and a half weeks going into a situation where even though I'll be wearing a mask and even though they're suggesting that we wash our hands, what a novel idea, um, you know, it's going to be literally thousands of people because if you think about the people you come in contact with and their family and then where their family is who their family is in contact with i mean it's just exponentially it's no longer a bubble you're just in society now um which we always did before but now that you really think about that it's much more daunting to think about having that many people that i could become exposed to covid19 from Although T is in a rare situation of having enough funding for specialist educators and tutors, this also increases the number of people in and out of her classroom on a daily basis. Also, it's important to keep in mind that we are talking about kindergartners who are going to need to be responsible for keeping their own masks on while preventing contact with others. In T's case, it is not only her job to teach, but also to enforce all these guidelines without being in physical contact with her students something she hasn't done in her 13 years of teaching. Kindergartners are gross. <laughs> By the way, they're <laughs> gross. So are other children, but I mean, and so are adults for that matter, if we're being honest. But <laughs> kindergartners, you know, they've been on this earth for four or five years. They may or may not be trained to cover their mouths when they're coughing or sneezing. They've only recently been introduced to mask wearing. Um, and I'm sure some kids are more capable of that than others. My own kids actually like their masks, but they've hmm. never worn them for six hours straight. Right. Um, you know, I, it's not going to be an all day, every day sustainable thing to ask young children who aren't normally wearing masks to wear masks appropriately, comfortably and not play with them. So I do worry about how effective that will be um, at mitigating spreading of germs. So I don't really see how I'm going to A, be able to distance and B, be able to enforce what I'm asking them to do for distancing. Right. You know, I've got, I, I always think about like a cat video. I love kittens. I saw years ago of this person trying to like put kittens in a line 
And of course, these adorable kittens keep crawling away and the person just keeps, you know, you see their hands try to keep positioning the cats all in a row. That is what my job is in September, October, and by November, I can take a breath. So (laughs) I'm physically touching these kids, moving them, because here's the thing. I'm trying to be cognizant of my language and what I'm saying to these kids. I'm talking nonstop. By the end of the first week of school, I have no voice because I have not stopped talking. Um, And while I'm talking to you, I'm moving your neighbor into line because they're straying off like that little kitten in the video. So I'm touching kids constantly. And even when I say to a child, do this or do that, they may not speak English um, at all, or it's as their second language, or even if it's their first language, they may be so overwhelmed by all the stimuli that they are bombarded with in a new place with new everything that they're not able to hear me. The thought of relearning how to teach is daunting. And, you know, we did it in the spring. We did. And it was empowering that we were able to scramble and figure it out you know, arguably faster than a lot of other jobs and, and careers. But, you know, it, it was always like, oh, we could just have to do this for a few months. Okay, just have to get to the end. Just just get to June. Right. And now the idea of starting the school year with so many questions and layers to this whole thing is, is really um, intimidating to me. I saw a picture on Facebook the other day of a friend with a, her child had a mask on, and it was all wet, like a four-year-old. It was all wet. So, yeah, that wetness is staying in their mask. I guess that's better. But it's going to be it's not going to be as effective as adults wearing masks. It's just not. So I don't feel good about going back full time um, with full capacity. I think that's a mistake. Based on how easily kindergartners may be in contact with each other, T thinks that opening up full capacity is a mistake. Let's assume that's the case and instead let's consider the hybrid model. The hybrid model allows students to attend school in smaller groups and on staggered schedules. This still requires students to be in classes and also requires teachers to be in the classroom twice as much. T gives us a perspective on how that might look through a few scenarios. Now I'm seeing exactly what we expected, that they're going to say, okay, maybe hybrid. What that would mean is in my district, they're looking at Monday, group A, Tuesday, group B, uh-huh. Wednesday, Group A, Thursday, Group B, and then fly- Friday would be a flex day. That would be a day for teachers to have PD and also to help support children however they need to be supported. It's not clear. My thought would be that maybe special ed students would be coming or students identified as high risk. Maybe they're ELL. Maybe they're um, at risk because of how they performed last year during um, distance learning. You know, not my, my kindergartners, but you know, other grade levels, maybe, you know, we said last year that this family really fell off the face of the earth. Maybe those kids would get a third day, you know, so mm. families are going to come, you know, kids are going to come either to every two or three days. Of course, what that would mean is a headache for administration trying to figure out, well, okay, this, these siblings have to have the same schedule, yeah. you know, right. so they look at the sibling pairs and then they say, okay, you know, the, you guys are group A and you guys are group B and then they fit everyone else in, um, you know, so that's what that's what the plan would be for hybrid. And so I would be working every day. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is that I don't have a lot of faith in even the hybrid model where, okay, if I have half my class, so let's say I've got 
11 kids. Let's say I've got 10 kids. You know, we don't have desks, by the way. I keep talking about desks facing the same direction. Well, I have tables, but they said that they're going to get us plexiglass like um, dividers. dividers. Talk about intimidating and scary. You know, I'll be wearing a shield. They'll be (laughs) they'll be wearing masks. I'll have a mask, too. And then there'll be these dividers, plexiglass dividers. How welcoming is that? Let's say student A in my class tests positive, whether, you know, they had a family member or whatever happened. They, they're they positive. Yeah. So now my class is going to quarantine. But student B has a sibling in a different class in third grade. Well, is that whole third grade class going to quarantine? Because right. they should. Because by the, by the time you figure out that this should be happening, everyone's already gone home and come back to school several times. So should now what about that bus? Because that bus drives high school kids and then middle school kids and then elementary kids. They do all the grade levels. So A, what about that bus? And then B, what about the fact that like those siblings, there are siblings in other in other classes in my school there's always siblings in middle school and high school as well i mean when you look at well okay the the second class they you know that sibling class they've got that person has a sibling in first grade well okay that you can't like literally you would just shut down the school with one positive and i don't think you can do that at one point they said teachers are going to be walking their students to their specials which, I mean, we always do, so I don't know why that was stated at all. But then it said the special teachers, so like art, music, um, media, technology, and I don't know about PE is a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. PE will take place in the gym or um, outside when possible. But we also live in New England, so okay. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so those teachers are going to be coming to my classroom, and then it said I would then be invited or allowed to go to the music room to have some personal space so that you know i'm out of my classroom the music teacher sees the whole school and guess what the art teacher sees every class plus like one other class at a different school now you're talking about cross town other schools like half of our teaching force lives in town it could start with one little kid in my class and it really, you could contact, if you're talking about, because they kept saying contact tracing. Okay, well, contact right. tracing is going to, you're going to be contact with everyone in the district. These are people that are in and out of my room all the time. It's not even like within the kindergarten cohort, the whole grade level, we could have one tutor. We, we have tutors that go, they go to every grade level. And okay, and again, yep, we'll all be wearing masks. There's so much sanitizer. You know, they, they suspect that kids don't care, don't, especially under 10, don't transmit COVID as well. Although I would argue that those kids have been isolated since March. They're not back at work. Yes, kids are socializing, um, as we've seen on social media. Kids are socializing with one another. But, you know, I have heard there's been an uptick. So maybe that's why. Contact tracing is complicated in these scenarios. Tracing back to multiple classrooms, buses, tutors, siblings to determine who the infected student or teacher was in touch with, the details go on. And based on T's pre-pandemic interactions, she's convinced this might spread to her whole district. Again, it's important to remember that we are talking about kindergartners who are in their first year of a multi-grade school system. 
This can take an emotional toll on them, especially with COVID-19 in the mix. If they're emotionally distressed, T's worried that her kids may lose their love for learning, which many times can begin at this grade level. I've never had a year where I didn't have a crier. And by a crier, I don't mean a kid that cries once. Or like sometimes the third day of school in the afternoon, they're like, they start to cry like a week in sometimes when they're like, oh, wait, we're still doing this? Like the novelty wears off and wait, now I'm really coming here every day and that's what I have to do? I think I was one of those kids just for the record, but... (laughs) Oh, But like, even like the first couple days of school, you've got kids, I've literally cried. I can't tell you how many kids I've cried from their parents' arm or leg and carried them, walked them, not not physically carried, but walked them, Yeah. although I have physically carried kids before for extenuating circumstances, <laughs> dripping boogers, dripping tears, sure. a hot mess. And sometimes it lasts for a long time. It's not just a quick cry and they're okay. Here's the thing. I told you I was passionate about my job as a kindergarten teacher. I am instilling in them a love for learning and a love for school. Mm. And I want them to remember their teacher, their kindergarten teacher for the rest of their lives. It's the most fun grade. It is so special in so many ways. And everything I do, I sing constantly. I, (laughs) you know, we are, I do. We, I'm so affectionate with them. And I just, all these things that now I'm going to be like double, like guessing my, you know, second guessing myself. I'm going to be trying to decide between making them, giving them a hug, because that's what I would want someone to do for my own children. But thinking about my own children, maybe not hugging that kid, because I don't want to increase my chance of contracting a deadly virus. How am I going to sleep at night? And how, you know, we've had the conversation too, my husband and I about at home, like, what happens if I'm in school, and there's a kid who's coughing, and I come home, and no testing or anything has happened yet, but what am I going to do? We don't have a house where we can easily quarantine, by the way. There are other sicknesses also besides COVID-19, by the way, going back to why I wish there was a saliva test. Mm -hmm. I mean, if every time you have a symptom, which, by the way, my own kids as well, what am I going to do when my own – who's going to come sub for me when my own kids are sick? And if my own kids are sick, again, or their school has to close – Who's going to come sub for me? Or am I going to also, my class now have to be quarantining because I'm, my kid, if my daughter has a fever, is my class going to quarantine? What the superintendent did say today was that it will be all confidential. So no one's going to know who they should be mad at because, you know, that's not going to help anybody. We're all political and mad enough. We don't need anyone to know that, you know, whose fault it is that they now have two weeks of uncovered child care right um but but you know if we had a quick like rapid saliva test it wouldn't be as big of a deal but because we don't i have a feeling i'm going to be swabbing myself and my children every other day allergies what about allergies what about or like you know today she said oh well you can get a someone you know we might have students that get a doctor's note saying they have allergies so every time they sniffle we don't worry okay that's great but what if that it's like the boy who cried wolf. Like all those sniffles might be allergies, but then a sniffle might be COVID. And now we're like, oh, they're fine. They've got allergies. I, I honestly don't see how it's going to last for any meaningful length of time. And I feel like the amount of money and time spent making these plans to go back, God help us, it better be hybrid enough. All this time could be spent making sure that families are trained. 
this might be a good time to mention my plan for my own children, whose safety is my number one priority. Right. My daughter will be in the toddler room, and that's an eight-child classroom. Um, so I feel really good about how they're going to be really isolated. Like they used to have teachers covering each other's breaks and now they're not doing that because they don't want the, you know, the infant teacher to come into the toddler room. They want really separate, completely separate cohorts. So I appreciate mm. that. And then, you know, my son was in the, the pre-K four program last year and did not get a special graduation and all that fun stuff, but he was supposed to go on to public kindergarten in the town we live in. So I'll be driving. He's not going on a bus. It's not public school. Um, and I'm worried about it and what it's going to look like and what it's going to be like. And what happens if that facility has to shut down, you know, because there's an outbreak over there. Right. So, so but, what's the protocol in that case? If there's an outbreak, is there one? Well, if you isolate my son's kindergarten class, by the time you've made that decision, he's already come home. And therefore, shouldn't you also be isolating the toddler room since his sibling is in there? Like, exactly. that's the part of, that's the part I'm unclear about. Um, also, in the, the question and answer forum that happened today with my superintendent, people asked that question and there was no definitive answer. Oh, my goodness she wasn't quite sure and didn't have an answer. And that was a little unnerving. We're going back in three weeks. That's the number one question people have. As a mother, T is living through two challenging scenarios at the same time. Being responsible for her 17 incoming students, as well as her own two children who are entering preschool and kindergarten. If she contracts COVID-19, her entire class will need to quarantine and she will be left out of her family bubble. We talked for over an hour about the various scenarios that the kids, teachers, and specialists in her school may be exposed to. Through all these seemingly complex scenarios in the hybrid model, we still have to consider the third option for school in the fall, remote learning. I had kids that had a really hard time connecting with me on the computer. Mm. They were They were nervous. They were selectively mute. They wouldn't speak to me. I'm thinking of two in particular, but a handful of others that were shy at first and warmed up a little. But it's so different. You, you know, think about social cues. You miss out on social cues mm. when you're not in person. And it's just, it was really hard and it was really heartbreaking to feel disconnected from kids that I you know, I spend more time with them than some of their family members. Like I, they were, these are my kids and it was really, really hard. And other kids wouldn't stop talking and would send me videos. Like they would just send, <laughs> upload videos to me and I'm watching it. Like, you know, I used to work at like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. I'm looking through and I'm like, what is this video? It's not even, I didn't ask for this, but they're just sending me <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, but they were, they had a different comfort level. So I had a rapport with those kids and they had foundational learning from late August until the second week of March. How on earth? Cause yes, I, I am advocating for distance learning, but I don't know how that's going to work mm. for multiple reasons. I don't know how that's going to work in terms of the fact that if I'm home, my kids are home. But if I'm home and my kids are home and we are home for two weeks, then my parents would be back in my bubble. Some kids might be self-conscious about what's in their background. Yes. Um, you can't just be anywhere in your house and be private and quiet and be able to focus. So they might be really like embarrassed about what is in the background of their screen. I, you know, 
we certainly can see and you know we're all judging each other by appearances and that's one of them so you know and then also um like you said the internet access and we did a parade where we drove the entire staff it was amazing drove for three hours around our little quarter of the town three it took us three hours to drive through the neighborhoods and we didn't even get to every street and it was amazing it was probably the most profound day of my career um but i'll tell you what they don't all live in the same kind of neighborhood as each other so there's a huge disparity so my story for you one of my stories for you is that last (laughs) spring i had a family who struggled every time I tried to meet with them and I would call and it was just, it was really a lot of back and forth. It was really hard. Dad was working. Mom was home, but spoke very limited English. Um, they were a Portuguese family, um, speaking family. And finally the third grade sister and I spent 45 minutes on the phone getting her sister in my class, um, onto a Google meet with me. And, and I can't even tell you, how exciting it was when she when I when she arrived into my Google chat like it was just so amazing because she just was so helpful this little eight-year-old got her sister online I don't know why it was so hard but I mean it was hard you know it just was and it took all spring but we got them on Google meet so you're welcome first grade teacher because that (laughs) teacher you know I did all the hard work school has always just been an answer for a lot of or at least a band-aid, certainly not an answer, to a lot of our problems as a society. And now it's coming to light when we're not there. Remote learning may mitigate the risk and complexities of contracting COVID-19 as compared to the hybrid or full capacity models. But it does present challenges of its own, especially in underprivileged communities and family homes. This opens up another conversation that needs to be had the socioeconomic disparities and injustices in the United States, and how that can make school a sort of band-aid for certain families or students. We don't have maternity leave long enough. We don't have enough paid sick time. So there's all these other issues in our social constructs of our society that are coming to light. So here's the problem. Our schools act as a band-aid for a lot of social injustices. So Mm. our kids are hungry. Our kids are not well taken care of. Our kids aren't safe at home because they're being abused. So let's put them in school. Or, or, you know, and then, of course, our parents have to work. So if we put them in school, they'll be safe at least for those six hours. That's not a solution, by the way, to those problems. Of course, I take that role very seriously because I know that I'm the most um, consistent adult in a lot of kids' lives or safe, safest spot most organized, clean spot for them to go in their life. But maybe we should look at how to fix that Mm. rather than worrying about putting that on the schools. And yes, the schools are a great way to help with those things and certainly to help identify those things. We know, statistically speaking, I don't know what those numbers are, but we know kids are being abused verbally, emotionally, sexually. You know, I've made quite a few DCF referrals in my 13 years. So we know it's happening. And now now there's no safe place for them to go. That's a problem. We're feeding these kids. So that's a reason to get kids back in the school. Hmm. Um, Of course, we also, you know, 
such lower on the list is the fact that you learn better in person with your peers and all of that. Mm. Um, obviously, that's important. But if everybody's missing out on that, we're all like kind of where we were before. However, if you're accessing distance learning better, if you're if you have private tutors or private nannies or your parents are whatever, you know, kids are excelling and then other kids are just the crack is the gap is just widening and it's it's awful. But that's a socioeconomic, not to mention racial issue. If I'm working, I don't want my parents coming over. And they might have to at some point, but probably it would be my dad because my, you know, I wouldn't want my mom to come because my stepfather has cancer. He's fine right now, but like he has cancer. So, um, I, you know, it's like people don't all have that support. And even if you do have that support, why would you expose your loved ones? So. You know, I, that's, that's why, to answer your question, that is why, because people have to work, you know, employers, I think if they were getting any kind of grace period, it's ending. I understand why it's so important for our society, because I'm not going to call teachers the backbone of society. That's the frontline workers. But I don't know what another good analogy is. We're not, we're not the backbone, but we're, we're the skin. We hold it all together. (laughs) That's gross. No. Don't quote that. Don't quote I'm going to illustrate that and put that good, as good, the only good. image in this entire thing. It's going to be the cover. That's what you, that's what you took from And me. I don't yeah, know how to draw either, so it's going to be absolutely it's really horrific. Um, Nothing is morbid. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like We are holding society together because you got to have a place to put your kids. You know, I really do wish there was more emphasis on employers in general and companies in general, promoting people to stay home when they have to. Because if you're telling me that I might lose my job, guess what? I'm sending my kid with Tylenol, sending them to school like I do normally because people do that all the time. That's very, very common practice. Hmm. Um, you know, ooh, my kid's got a 99 temp, but they're acting a little fussy. I'm going to give them Tylenol, and hopefully they'll make it at least for the afternoon so I can get in a half a day of work and not piss off my boss. So... If employers in our country are not being forced, and I don't know how, you know, I'm not a lawmaker. I don't know how you force them. You can't. But, like, since that's not going to happen, people are going to have a really hard time with this. And that's what's so unfortunate because, trust me, I get it, especially our essential workers and frontline workers. So for parents, they're going to be having to do the distance learning facilitating at some point anyway because their kids are going to have to from time to time quarantine but then eventually let's all just you know i i do project we will whether it's november or january we will all be home again and i just hope that the plan for that is as well thought out and as strong as the rest of it although none of it's well thought out or strong because we could have been spending our time right now anticipating and planning for that I was doing um, once a week I was meeting with my entire class and then also once a week once a week I was meeting with each student individually I had someone that worked two different jobs one in a hospital she was a single mother of four kids she did have her mom helping it was my job to then report the level of participation and that was really uncomfortable because I felt bad like I felt like I was telling on them to my administrator like this family is not participating well we know why no one, you know, I'm not surprised this family isn't participating, but, you know, 
I think those are all things that are be considered for next year. Like I told you that flex day, maybe yeah. those are the families that will get that extra day because they struggled last, last spring. It doesn't seem like there's a democratic process where people can actually like vote to say, Hey, this is what we want or don't want. They're just well, expecting to be back. Or is that you can either do distance learning and the school will provide that distance learning for you, or you can come to school. Um, so that is a survey that was given. The other thing I should mention is that my district, I don't think this is all districts, but mine did ask if you have any of these following exceptions, are you, you can choose to stay home. For instance, if you don't have childcare for your kids, you can stay home. Or if you have, if you have a medical exemption, um, you you would need a doctor's note. Hmm. Or if you are caring for someone who is, you know, um, their immune system is, is compromised. So, some teachers, I think about 20%, have opted to stay home. And okay. what that will mean is they're the ones putting out the distance learning plans for the kids that are opting to stay home. Okay. So that's great. I don't know if all districts are doing that. But right. yeah. um, the issue, like, you know, the thing about that is <clears throat> I would have felt uncomfortable being the only one to say, yeah, I'm not going back if I could. And number two, my kids do have child care at this point. Um, yeah, if my school, if, if that, if their school closes permanently, it's because everyone closes permanently, right. you know? So I do have, I don't, I don't qualify for those things. There wasn't a scared out of my mind category. We know that there are some exemptions from attending in-person classes for certain families and situations, like those who have no childcare or who can opt to build remote learning plans from home or even have medical exemptions or compromised immune systems. But this is not the case for T. She still needs to follow whatever decision the board makes for this year's opening, which again is only in three weeks. I feel like we could go on for like 10 hours here. Yeah. Or more. But you've covered all my questions personally, and I'm, I only have one left and I'll, you can keep going on whatever you want as well, but before I forget this one, if you could give your thoughts to a parent who is thinking about bringing their kid back to school, what would that be in general? You know, I would tell parents that I'm going to keep your child as safe as I can and that I'm scared too, but I'm going to do everything in my power to keep them safe and that number one, besides safety, my goal is to help them develop a love of learning and a love of school. And that that doesn't change because I'm wearing a mask and that doesn't change because we're sanitizing every five seconds. Um, you know, we're going to figure it out. And I'm here for them. And I also hope that they bear with me as I navigate being a mother of a school-aged child during a global pandemic. Um, and that I really think we have an opportunity that no matter what happens this year, it's going to be a very challenging, but also, I don't want to say special year because, you know, I anticipate, I I have a lot of worst case scenarios anticipated. So I don't know that it's a special year, but it's going to be, they're going to be a special class to me. The year itself may not be feeling very special, but this class is going to be um, always, forever, a class that I'll remember, and it will be a very profound moment in my career. And I'm, you know, excited by that challenge. I'm 
not excited about a lot of it, but I'm excited by the challenge of making these students connected to me as much as I making that feeling of connection, no matter what the other hurdles are right. um, that I get every year. That, that happens every year. So I don't want this year to be any different for those reasons. You know, if you get a massage, your masseuse has like a holster for their lotion. I got one of those, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I did. I'm getting sanitizer. I'm going to put sanitizer in it, and I'm literally going to have sanitizer at my hip. I laugh, sanitizer. but it's like, it's that seems like I, very legit. Like, that's the way it should be I, done. Everybody. Well, I appreciate all of that very much, and I hope it didn't make you feel worse. No, you're welcome. Because you know what? You gave me a chance to just talk about it. And that's what I've been doing. But kind of with the same audience, you know, my family and everybody is validating how I feel. And that's great. But it's just kind of spinning your wheels and going in circles. And if you're looking at an average teacher in town that has a lot of, you know, we have a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. If that teacher still doesn't have a lot of like just fundamental answers, like, you know, just about the basics of this whole plan. What does that say for right. other towns that just don't have those resources? Like, like there should be a better plan. The very first day of school, I say, I'm going to say what comes first. And you all say safety first. So and I, I do that like at least three times a day. I'm like, boys and girls, what comes first? And there's a little cute little chorus of safety first. Like it's, that came from my dad. My dad always said that to us growing up. And that's number one safety first so yep. yep there's a whole lot of other stuff that comes along with being home and and nothing feels safe right now but that's the safest choice right now whether schools open at full capacity in a hybrid model or stick to remote learning we now know that there are many ups and downs to each and this is just one perspective but as a mother and teacher t has two dependents a whole family bubble, and 17 students to account for and ensure are following guidelines to prevent the spread of COVID-19. She will most likely lose her bubble if schools reopen and will be working twice as much if opened in the hybrid model. Remote learning may keep her the safest, but presents challenges of its own for her students who are underprivileged or have school serving as a band-aid for various issues at home. So it still leaves us with the question, which of these three models do you think is best? In a couple months, we will follow up with T to see how the school year is going and if her standpoint on anything has changed. In our next episode, we're going to speak with a mother of a foster child in the Rhode Island school system who has dealt with a great amount of difficulty in remote learning, and she has a lot of thoughts about reopening as well. Follow us on Instagram at Vicarial Podcast. That's V-I-C-A-R-I-A-L Podcast. And let us know what your thoughts are. Subscribe to follow these stories as the school year continues and to hear our next episode. This is the back-to-school edition of the Vicarial Podcast. See you next time.